language. So when I went out to the circus lot, I didn't know that language. So when people said things like that to me, I'd look at them like, uh, don't have a clue. You know, so then, oh, okay. And then he had to teach, I had to learn the language. You know, you don't come out of the womb speaking your native language. You come out crying and screaming, right? So, but that's your language at the moment. And so you have to learn the language. Even, you know, people have, get hung up on speaking in tongues and, and Sometimes people have a language that doesn't sound like a language. Sometimes it sounds just like a language, and sometimes it changes. And then you can actually change the language uh, depending on what you're praying for. I mean, there's all kinds of things involved with that. But I'm not talking about that because that's a supernatural event that's pure and unhindered by your peanut little brain. Right? Because it's perfect from your spirit to God's spirit. But what I'm talking about here is what is God saying to you? How does he talk to you? What's his language? Let's look at some scripture here. In John 16, 13, it says, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you or show you what is to come. He shall glorify me. He shall take of mine. He shall disclose it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said to you, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, It's written, things that eye has not seen, ears not heard, which has not entered at the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. But for us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So... Whose job is it to reveal things to us, to speak to us? Holy Spirit. It's not Jesus. It's not the Father. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, you can talk to Jesus. You can talk to the Father. The Holy Spirit's the one who's going to do the revealing. It's, think, of how, think of those words, reveal, disclose, show, guide, lead. Okay, that's a lot of activity. But that's the job of the Holy Spirit. Now, he has a very specific language. Before I get into that language, though, let me ask you something. Okay, if this is your, represents your purpose, right? So that's your purpose right there. Do you think that your purpose is inside the kingdom of God? Not a trick question. How many of you think it's in? This, okay, I, this is a raised hand, Okay. <laughs> This is, I have no idea what you're doing. All right, so if I ask a question, I raise my hand, it means let me know that you understand what I'm saying. All right, so do you think your purpose is inside the kingdom of God? Yeah. All right, so let's say that this is the kingdom, right? Here's the kingdom. It's inside the kingdom. Where's the kingdom? Oh, good answer. So it's in you, Right? So, if, if the kingdom of God is in you and your purpose is in the kingdom, where's your purpose? In you. People spend their whole lives, particularly Christians, <clears throat> going places, trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, when the whole time they're carrying it with them. It's in here. It's not out there. Now, that's where you're going to live it out, is out there, but it's in here. All we have to do is tap into the language of the Holy Spirit so he can show us what it is. 
That's all there is to it. It's like if I'm going to grow an oak tree, what do I do? I plant the seed. The oak tree's inside the seed, right? I got to let, I got to put that seed, I got to find the seed, and then I got to get that thing in the ground so it can germinate and grow and all that. It's same way with us. It's in us. God says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. That isn't just, hey, I, I, yeah, your name's Fred. I mean, it's not what he meant. He knew everything about you. Think about that oak tree. Everything that that oak tree is is already in that seed. Every branch, every leaf, every other acorn, it's already inside that seed. In the DNA and the RNA and all those things that are in us. So when it comes to your purpose, this is how simple it is. It's inside you. Now, you just have to learn the language so you can pull it out. All right? So what's the language? We just talked about it. I just read the scripture. The Holy Spirit will show you, show you, show you, show you, disclose to you. And I want you to see this last part of this verse. It says, all things that the Father has are mine. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, because everything belongs to me that belongs to him, I said that he, the Holy Spirit, takes the mind and will show it to how much is he showing you? How much? All what? Uh, what belongs to Jesus? Everything that belongs to the Father. What does that mean? Now, see, our, our, your minds can't even comprehend it, okay? Don't try and answer it because it's the universe. It's, the, it's everything. But this is how much God when he made this covenant with Jesus, and then you got in on that covenant when you were born again, he didn't just give you a little bit of Holy Spirit. He gave you all of it. He didn't give you a little bit of the kingdom. He gave you all of it. He didn't give you a little bit of the universe and eternity. He gave it all to you. Amen. What that means is we are living in like one little one millionth of a percent of what we have. Do you understand that? I mean, people, when Christians go, well, I, I, you know, I don't have any money, or I don't know what to do, or nothing's working, I'm like, excuse me, I have this verse here that says everything belongs to you. So if everything belongs to us, God's not holding back anything, is he? Now, there's timing involved, there's maturity involved, all those things are involved. We need patience, Absolutely. But it's not God sitting up there going, yeah, when you get good enough, I'll give you something. When you pray enough, when you read your Bible enough, when you, when you give enough in your tithing and your offering, it's not about that. He already gave it to you. It's already yours, including your purpose and the ability to find it and live it out. It's already yours. It's already in here. And the Holy Spirit wants to disclose it to you. He wants to. What did Jesus say? Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but... John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. He didn't stutter. He said, my sheep hear my voice, period. You hear it. You hear it. I hear it. Thing is, if we don't speak the language, we don't recognize the voice, we don't hear it. We don't get, we're not able to listen to it. We just hear it. It's just there. But like all the other input that's going in our brains and in our spirits all the time. You okay with this? I'm not beating you up. I'm just saying, this is, we're all there, right? Okay. So the Holy Spirit's job description is to show us everything. Everything. Isn't that what he said? 
He takes up mine and will show it to you. That's his job description, to show you absolutely everything. That includes your purpose and your destiny and the fullness of it. <clears throat> will he show it to you all at once? Probably not. He'll flip you out. <laughs> but he will show it to you. All we have to do is ask him, but we have to ask him all the time. We have to continually ask because it's continually growing, just like you develop as a, from a child into an adult. You're continually growing and learning through that. Remember, we said your purpose never changes. Your destiny changes every day. How you walk it out is every day is a new part of your destiny. So it's, it's always different, which is awesome. Okay, so what's the language? I, I, that was, you know, when I got saved... Like I told you, I had no religious background whatsoever. I didn't know anything about anything about anything that had to do with the Bible or the kingdom or anything of that stuff. So I read that verse, my sheep hear my voice, I, they know, I know them and they follow me. So I said, okay, God, here's how it's going to work. This is exactly the way I said it. Here's how it's going to work. I said, I'm going to ask you something, and then you're going to be the first thing that comes to my mind because I believe you're bigger than me, bigger than the devil, bigger than anything going on around me. And I'm going to do whatever the first thing is that comes to my mind. That's a dangerous prayer. But I didn't know anything else, and so I figured that's got to work. And guess what? That worked. And it's worked my whole life. Have I ever made a mistake? Yeah. You know, people go, well, I just don't want to make any mistakes. Well, go to heaven then. Because you're going to. I'll just set your mind at ease. Will you make mistakes? Yes, of course you will. If you, how many of you have had kids? How many have been around kids? And they fall down, they get back up. They fall down, they get back up. You get mad at them because they're falling down? No, because they're kids, they're learning. Now, if you're 35 and you're falling down all the time, you got a problem. We're going to help you. But when you're a little kid, you're learning, you're growing, right? That's the way God is. Hey, you made a mistake, it's okay. It's okay, just get up, keep going. He didn't slip off the throne just because you messed up. He's used to it. He's got billions of kids that he's watched go through this. So the issue isn't about making mistakes. The issue is just don't quit. You know, get back up, keep learning, keep growing, keep becoming more and more like Jesus, keep letting the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you, but he has a specific language. What is that language? So for me, it was instantly pictures because I'm a visual guy. But then I found out that's really his language anyway. So if, you've got, if you're looking at your outline there, I looked through the Bible, and the, here's how he spoke to people. In dreams, visions, thoughts, ideas, impressions, knowings, and desires. Those are all things in the Bible that says that's how he talks. 230 visions and dreams were given to people in the Bible. Actually, more than that. There's 14 visions and dreams in the book of Acts alone, and the entire book of Revelation is what? A vision. That's his language. That's how he talks. Now, in the Old Testament, sometimes he would use a donkey to talk to you. Okay, that's okay. He can do whatever he wants. But the majority, what I'm saying is the majority of the time, he's speaking in visions and dreams. What are they? They're movies. They're pictures. Right? They say visions. Today, we would say, hey, I saw a movie in my mind. Right? That's the way he speaks. But if you don't know that, you can get pictures, you can get impressions, that, but actually pictures. And if you don't know that's his language, you're going to ignore it. How many of you ever had somebody's face just come before you? Right? What do you do with that? 
Yeah. What, okay, why, do, why is that person... And they'll come again and again and again. Finally, you go, okay. Lightning fast mind figured out you're trying... Why is that guy's face in front of me? And you ask the Lord and he tells you. And if he doesn't tell you, you call that person up and say, what's going on? Because remember, he's, he loves to play hide and seek. So he's going to give you a picture of something. He may not tell you what it's about, so you'll go investigate. Right? And sometimes they're going, hey, nothing's going on. But God's just, you know, how many of you ever had dreams where you're being chased by something or you're being attacked by something? You get the name of Jesus out and they disappear. Anybody have one of those? Okay, I've had hundreds of those. But that's because I'm, I'm called to a specific form of warfare, right? And again, remember what I said about warfare? Warfare is up here. It's not, you're not out fighting and doing all that stuff. They're training films. Dreams are training films. People get so hung up about, what do you think this dream meant? I don't know. What, did I, was it a good feeling or bad feeling? How did it end? You know, they all, what is it? What, what, you know, I saw this, you know, black cat and, and a blue dog. What does that mean? I don't know. Pizza? I don't know. The point is, you need to, that's where you go to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, this is your language. Start talking to me. Tell me what this is. Help me know. Now, there's, now listen, dream interpretation is cool. You know, I've read the books, so all that kind of stuff, and it's really, really good stuff. My wife has that gift. She can, so, I mean, just instantly, she interpret a dream. And that's cool, but the point I'm getting across is they're training films most of the time where he's trying to get you to learn that language, right? I mean, I had so many dreams where I was fighting alligators and poisonous snakes and vampires and werewolves and I mean, over and over and over again. And I'm feeling the pain because I'm getting bit, I'm getting scratched. Sometimes I got shot and stabbed and all these dreams and I'm like, what the heck? Why am I having all these dreams? But in the dreams, I would always get the name of Jesus out, and I'd win in the end, right? And I'm just like, what is this? You know, and I went to the Lord. I'm, you know, I should have done it long before I did. I said, what is this about? Because it didn't make any sense. He said, I'm just training you. It's just training you. I'm teaching you how powerful the name is. Oh, could have said that, you know. <laughs> so I'll give you an example. I'm in Prague in uh, the Czech Republic, and this is about 91, over there with James Gall and a few other crazy people. And uh, I'd been preaching in, in the town square, and in, in this town square, there's three very, four very gothic churches on the corners, and then you're down, we're down the middle. And so I'm, I was preaching an evangelistic message, and it's a real cloudy day, kind of like today, and the, the clouds are all moving by. So I've got these people here, and there's this big cathedral in front of me, and it's black. I mean, it's just this ugly thing. But it's black from soot. They tell me they didn't build it and paint it black. And so I noticed that there's this one cloud, really dark, over that, and it's not moving, and all the other clouds are moving. That one's not moving, and it's shaped like a bat. Just sitting there. And I'm looking at this thing going, well, that's not natural. You know, I am smart, you know. So I'm like, that's what's that? What's wrong with that? So then I realize it's it's this demonic force that is. It could be a principality. I don't know what it was. I don't get hung up with that stuff. But it just it was it was there and it was there just mocking, you know. And I went, no, that's not okay. So prayed for everybody who needed prayer. And then I pointed at the thing, and I said, in the name of Jesus, 
you have to go. Disappeared, just like that. So I thought, yeah, awesome, man of God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that lasted about three hours. So that night, I'm in bed in my hotel room. Now, it's just actually just a, a, I think it was just more like a living room. And there was a bunk, you know, bed over here and a bed over here. So I'm over here. There's a guy in the bed over here. And then there's a door like, you know, five feet there. So in the middle of the night, I hear, a door, I hear the door open and close. I open my eyes, and I see this darkness come at me. I can hear the footsteps on the ground. And so all of a sudden, this thing jumps on me. Physically, I felt it. Weighed a couple hundred pounds. Boom, on my chest. And I put my hands up to figure out what it was. And I grabbed about this much of some sort of animal. I know this sounds really weird. It still sounds to me weird, and I lived it. And I'm, I'm holding it, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm paralyzed. I really can't, I can't talk, I can't do anything. And it's just solid evil. It's so evil. And then whatever it was, I couldn't really see it. It bit me on my left arm. I got the name of Jesus out and disappeared. I'm wide awake. This was real. It happened. I look over at this guy. He's sleeping. I tried not to get mad at him. <laughs> but I'm thinking, okay, I'm okay. Nothing really happened. Now, I'm not trying to be crude here. But for the next 23 days, I didn't have a bowel movement. And for 10 years after that, I had issues with my bowels. Okay, now, anybody who's ever been constipated for a couple of days knows how unpleasant that is. Try 23. Okay, but here's the thing. I never had one symptom. I never knew. It didn't bloat. None of that happened. It was supernaturally bad, but it was physically I wasn't feeling it. So I'm, there's a reason I'm telling you all this. And if I figure it out, I'll tell you what it is. So somebody just must need to hear the story. So anyway, I come back to the States, and I mean, from the time that happened to the time I got back to the States, never had a bowel movement. I go over to one of my friend's house uh, a couple of days afterwards. We're having dinner, and all of a sudden, three weeks' worth of backup all decided it was time to leave. And so anyway, I went into the bathroom, and I was in there for a long time, and uh, came out, you know, and I told no one, I told no one this story, because I didn't believe it myself. I mean, it was like, this is nuts. So anyway, it, that happened, and I had that issue, and <clears throat> I realized that I had not listened to the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? I took on something I didn't have the right to take on. It had been there for millennium. And there were people there who wanted it there. And I didn't have the authority to confront it. All right? I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. He was trying to tell me not to. Because when I thought back on it, I was thinking, don't engage that thing. Don't do that. But I, my stupid human pride made me do it. Right? So the Holy Spirit was trying to speak to me. And listen, I, you know, this is, I'm 15 years into my walk with the Lord. I mean, I understood this was after circus and all that stuff. I knew the voice, but I ignored it. It's a bad idea. You always want to listen to the Holy Spirit. You want to do what he tells you to do. But again, you have to know the language. You've, and you've, then you have to obey that language. Okay? 
So we're going to do something now. Close your eyes. Dog. House. Tree. Car. Open your eyes. How many of you, when I said the word dog, you saw a dog? How many of you saw the word D-O-G? How many saw nothing? Okay. How many of you saw a house? How many saw your house? How many of you saw a tree? How many of you saw a palm tree? How many of you, um, when I said dog, you saw your dog? How many saw a black dog? White dog? Long-haired dog? Short-haired dog? Okay, the reason I'm asking is, look at it, everybody's raising their hand on everything I'm saying. I didn't tell you what I was going to do, did I? We see words and pictures, primarily, even if it's the word. Some of you saw the word, D-O-G or H-O-S-E or whatever. That's fine. And the ones of you who didn't see anything, I always ask that because there's always people who didn't see something. And the devil's really fast to jump in and say, see, you're not spiritual, blah, 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 blah. No, it's just that we're practicing. This is practice. This is how you practice the language of the Holy Spirit. You take the time and you let him draw on your imagination. Imagination, when you're born again, it's sanctified, guys. Okay? Imagination is huge. God uses imagination. He used his imagination to create. Look around the room. Look at the different people here. That's the imagination of God. Okay? He, it says that he formed the visible from the invisible. Invisible, what was that? It was his imagination. He saw it all, and then he did it all. And he hasn't changed. That's the way we, that's the way we operate, right? The chair you're sitting in, somebody imagined that, then they built that. They saw the picture first, the table, the carpet, the sound system, the lights. Somebody saw that, then they created that. It's the language of the Holy Spirit. It's the language, the creative language of God. You got it? I mean, it, so this is the way we, so I want you to turn the page. Let's see where we're going to go to. What's, the page says learning the language one, number one. Nineteen. Thank you. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, don't worry about all this stuff at the top. What I want you to do is I want you to write in that blank something you want the Holy Spirit to talk to you about right now. Just write something in there. Whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be spiritual. It can be anything. It just this is practice. So, what we're going to do is we're going to say, Holy Spirit, I want you to speak to me about this. We're going to close our eyes and we're going to let Him talk to us about that specific thing, and he's going to talk to you in his language. For some of you, that's going to be words. For most of you, it's going to be pictures. He's going to show you things about that, okay? And even if it's a ticker tape of the words going by, it doesn't matter, all right? So just close your eyes, and let's give it a shot. Take your time. 
<clears throat> Whenever you're ready, <clears throat> you can start writing, but take your time. Write, write down the details of what you see. If you see colors, if you see shapes, if whatever it is, but get some detail down. Because remember, this is, you're learning the language. You're asking the Holy Spirit to show you something, so do him the honor of getting it all down. Okay, turn the person next to you, share with them what you wrote down.
Okay, let's bring it back in. It's good, it's good. Now the thing about this particular drill is you can do it all the time. You can do it as many times as you want. The Holy Spirit will not get tired. And he would love for you to continue to practice just this very thing. On the next page, you'll see a, another drill. We're not going to go through that just for time's sake. You can do that on your own. But this is another one, kind of what I did with when I was just telling you what the words were. Because sometimes people, you know, all your senses can be involved in hearing from the Holy Spirit. So what this is, is you have someone say the word. So you need someone to help you do this. And then you circle, did you... You know, was it uh, something, did you feel it? Did you smell it? Did you see the picture? Did you see the letters? And did, or did you hear the sound? And you go down the list. And then at the bottom, you total up each one of those lists. So all of the touches, all the smells, all the pictures. Whichever one has the largest number of ways that you heard or experienced that word, that's the way the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you the most. Pretty cool, huh? And it works. It's really dramatically how, dramatic how well it works. But we're not going to do that right now. Um, we got so much to cover tonight. Um, so I want you to, uh, I'm going to get this thing fixed, excuse me. Otherwise, it'll be all over the place. All right. Hopefully that'll work. Okay. So I want to talk to you about... Um, the seven steps. These are the seven steps I've been using for years and years. So we're back on, on the outline on page 17. These seven steps I've been using for decades, and it always works. 100% of the time it works. But listen to what I'm about to say. It doesn't happen instantly. So let, let me just explain what I'm talking about. God is never in a hurry. Never in a rush. The only time, I only found like three times in the Bible where it was a life or death situation and God said, get up and do this immediately. The rest of the time, there's time. How do you know that? Well, try Adam and Eve. Okay? They had the fall. What does he say? Oh, by the way, the woman's, uh, the woman's seed is going to bruise your head. How long did that take? So Jesus came. Jesus said, I'm coming back soon. How long has that been? I mean, it's just, you know, God's not in a hurry. He spent hundreds of years prophesying about Jesus coming before he got here, right? So when he tells you something, it's not about getting it done yesterday, okay? There's plenty of time. So when we talk about these confirmation points, it takes time, okay? It just takes time. Can you ladies see this board very well over here? Okay, I'll move it up. Yeah, I thought I saw you straining trying to the whole thing. Okay, so the first point, now first of all, in, in Colossians 1.9, Paul prays the prayer, and this is one of the, you guys know what the apostolic prayers are? You know, you know what the kingdom prayers are in the, in the New Testament? There's about a dozen of them, maybe 15, something like that, where Paul says, I pray, and then he tells you what he prays for that specific group of people. Paul, Peter, James, Jude, uh, Revelation, it's all, they're all through the New Testament. But the two premier ones are Ephesians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. And you should pray those because they're the prayers that God wrote in there and said, these are the prayers that we pray for you. And usually they say, because we heard of your love and we heard of your faith, this is what we pray. So you should pray those all the time. 
Those, we call them apostolic prayers only because the apostles wrote them, right? But you can call them kingdom prayers, whatever you want. The point is, they're very specific. They say very specific things. And if God said, you know, put them in there in those words, I pray so that you, and here's what I want that prayer to accomplish, you need to be praying that over yourself, right? So in Colossians, it says, Paul says, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding so that, here's the result, so that you walk in a manner worthy of him, you please him in all respects, you bear fruit in every good work, you increase in your knowledge of God, and you're filled with supernatural God power to be patient. In fact, it's the only place I've found in the New Testament where it invokes that kind of supernatural power for one thing, and it's for patience. It's not for healing. It's not for casting out demons. It's for being patient because he knew we're going to need all the help we can get to be patient because we're not patient people, especially in this day and age, right? Everything's got to be instant. Got to have it right now. So <clears throat> these are the prayers you pray. Well, don't you want to walk in a manner worthy of God? Don't you want to please him in all respects? Don't you want to bear fruit in every good work? Well, of course we do. These are the prayers that he says we should pray. But how does that come? By being filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. What does that include? Your purpose, right? Your destiny, whatever it is that you're supposed to do. So we want to make sure that we're hearing from God. First, um, I think I have it written down. Yes, First uh, John 5, 14, 15. Let me read it to you. This is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, what did Paul say? Be filled with the knowledge of his will. So if we know, if we, we pray according to his will, we know he hears us. If we know he hears us, we know whatever we ask, we know we have what we ask for. So when Paul's saying be filled with the knowledge of God's will, I mean, it's a lot more than just, oh, yeah, I, I, this is what God wants me to know. It, he's talking about anything you ask for as long as you know you ask in his will. So that's why we have to learn the language so we can hear correctly. But just because you have this knowing this thought that you know God told me something doesn't mean you have the whole picture does it so let's look at these things number one is prayer John 27 10 27 already said that about my sheep hear my voice there's no question about whether you hear the voice there's no question that's a fact you hear the voice of God you just have to learn that that's what it is you need to be able to confirm it is and, and, but there's a couple qualifiers here. I know them and they follow me. I know them. That's the intimate knowing, like a husband and wife know each other. Okay? It's, it's not just, hey, I know who you are. It's I know you in a very intimate way. So it's talking about a deep relationship with Jesus. And then he says, and they follow me. To be a follower of Jesus is much more than just being born again. Wouldn't you agree? It's not a trick question. You can say yes. To be a follower of Jesus means you are 100% sold out. He is actually Lord, and he's not going to say to you, why do you call me that if you don't obey me? It's because your job, your desire, rather, is to obey him all the time. And I would say that's the reason you're in this room. So when 
it, when we're talking about the will of God, there's a lot connected to that for us. It's all about our lives, and of course, it's all, uh, lives, and it's all about our purpose. Okay, so number one is when you're praying, how do you, what is he saying to you when you pray? When you ask about something specific, what is he saying to you? You, you should have, I have a list, and I apologize that it didn't make it into this particular seminar workbook. It should have been in here. I just noticed that today. It's just a page, and I list these seven things. And so whenever I'm going to pray for something that I call life, a life prayer, you know, something that's really impactful for my life, I put that at the top, and then I start pursuing those, these six or seven things. So the first thing I always ask is, okay, God, what, what do you think about this? This is what I feel. Can you tell, what do you got to tell me? And I listen. And that may not all come the first day. It may take a, a while. But that's okay. It's on the list. <clears throat> Second, do I have peace? When I sit and think about this thing that I want, that I think is the will of God, do I have peace? Now, peace, I want you to turn the page. There's a drill we're going to do. It's actually a couple pages, I think couple pages back to page 21. The peace drill. Here's what we're going to do. Because some people go, I don't, you know, the peace of God. You know, we are praying for this brother. Uh, where was he? Zach, was that his name? I think maybe he left. Um, and he came in and he had some issues in his body. And he was, he didn't have peace. Let's just put it that way. <clears throat> but by the time we finished praying, he was pretty peaceful. And his dizziness went away and a bunch of other things that he wanted. Some people don't know the peace of God. They're not used to it. So we're going to do a little exercise here where you're going to feel the peace of God. All right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close our eyes. And I want you to think about how much God loves you. Just think about the love of God. Instantly, the room is filled with peace. How many of you could feel that happen? Raise your hand. Keep your eyes closed, okay? Just about everybody. Okay, just, I want you to right now, because the peace of God is here, I want you to begin to notice how you feel. How do you feel physically? How do you feel emotionally? What's going on in the room? Okay, open your eyes, write all that down. Write down what you feel. Write down what you're sensing, what's coming to you. What happened just then? Write that down, just bullet words, just bullet points. We're not gonna take a lot of time with this. We got too much to do. <clears throat> just write down three or four things. What did you feel? What happened? What came in, you know, I, I can feel it in the room. I can feel it in my body when the peace of God comes. Everything just kind of settles down into my feet if I'm standing up. It's like, awesome. Okay, if you haven't written it down, we're going to go to the next half of this thing. Now I want you to close your eyes again. I want you to think of something horrific, something horrible, something that's just disgusting, the exact opposite of the peace of God. I want, you to, I want you to think about it. Won't keep you there long, but I want you now, the atmosphere in the room just changed, 
and I want you to feel. What, what are you feeling? What are you sensing? What's going on in your body while you're thinking about that? Write it down. Just the bullet words, main points. Okay, close your eyes again. Now go back to the peace part. Go back to the love of God, the light of God, the peace of God, angels of God, how much he loves you. Think about all that. And the atmosphere changes once again. Okay, you can open your eyes. How many of you actually felt the changes when we were doing that? Okay, most of you. Okay, this is another exercise just, and the Holy Spirit loves this because, and I'm not, don't go back and forth between the good and the bad. Just concentrate on the good. But sometimes you need the contrast, right? Because even in the midst of the horrible, you can invoke the peace of God on you, and you get peaceful when the rest of the place is going, you know, crazy. Because it's part of his presence, right? It's part of the presence of God is his peace. So peace is a huge part of any confirmation. So when you think about it, when you think about it, and you turn back to the, uh, to the outline on page 17. Um, when you think about peace, when you think about the situation, whatever it is you're, you're asking God for confirmation from, for, um, <clears throat> do you feel peace when you just sit and think about it? I mean, there's sometimes I'll think about something, I go, man, I just feel this scratchy thing in here. I just don't feel comfortable. I just, you know, I just have a check in my spirit. You ever heard people say that? That's where the peace of God is not there. But when the peace of God is on you, just like we did just now in that little exercise, you know it. You can feel it. All right? So number three, the Word of God. Right? It says the Word of God in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. We're training right now. The Word of God is great for training. But it also says my Word is confirmed by two or more witnesses. <clears throat> so what I always do when I'm going through this list about something, any kind of life decision, <clears throat> I always ask, okay, God, I, I want at least three scriptures, but I'd really like five scriptures to confirm this word. <clears throat> it only takes two, but he says two or more, so I go for the more. Because I want, I want to make sure that I know that I know that I know, Right? Because especially in life decisions, with that, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be, you know, people may give you a blowback, and it may, the devil may, your own mind may. So the more confirmation you have, the better. Wouldn't you agree? <clears throat> so you want the Word of God. The Word of God can come many different ways. He can, it can be a scripture that you just remember. It can be uh, he gives you an address, you know, hey, Matthew 24-7, whatever that might be. And you go there, and oh, wow, it pertains, or no, it doesn't pertain. Right? Because you're asking him to confirm or not confirm through the word. So sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. That's why you want several, not just one. People can get really hung up. They get one, and it doesn't seem to make any sense, or it's a negative, or even if it's a positive. But when they get the other three or four, and they put them all together, they go, oh, wait a minute. Here's the real full answer. Okay, does that make sense? So sometimes it's you're just reading through the Bible. Boom, you ever, had, you ever had something where like you read the same sentence four times before you realize you read it four times? 
That's the Holy Spirit going, hello, pay attention, I'm talking to you, right? That's the way he works. Sometimes you'll hear it on the radio, or you read it in a book or whatever. So all those things, you want to be open to all those things. They don't all happen in the same day. We're not talking about this all happening in the same day. This may take, you know, like I said, the Holy Spirit is not in a hurry. God's never in a hurry with us. We've got plenty of time to get the job done, to hear from him. Okay, number, what are we on? Number uh, four, wise counsel. This is probably the most neglected area of confirmation. Where there is no guidance, people fall. In an abundance of counselors, there is victory. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but in many counsels, they succeed. That's just Proverbs, which happened to be written by the wisest man who ever lived. Besides, he was inspired by God. Many counsels. So how many do you think many is? Just shout out. What? Three, four, five? What else? Seven? Okay. How many do you think a few is? Just a few. Three. Okay. In the Bible, and I think it's in Peter, it says there were a few people saved in the ark. How many people were saved in the ark? Eight. Is a few less than many? You all said so. So when I'm looking for many councils, I want around 10. The problem is they're hard to find. <laughs> wise counsel is hard to find. Okay? And here's wise counsel. If, I want, if I've got a plumbing problem, am I going to my car mechanic? Why? He doesn't have wisdom with plumbing. If, I'm, if I need, uh, you know, I've got a stain in my clothes, am I going to go to an accountant? No. I'm going to the guy who has wisdom with what I need. So wise counsels. It isn't just counsels. It's wise counsels. You want to go to people who have wisdom in the area you need. What is that demand? Relationships. Isn't that what the whole kingdom is about? Yes, it is. So building relationships continually with people who are better at something than you are, have more wisdom than you have, is a really good idea. Now, you may not even have to know the person, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I feel like the Lord's told me to buy this piece of property. I don't know anything about real estate. So who are you going to call? The real estate person. You're going to call the realtor, right? You're going to call the realtor. Well, guess, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing something like that, about I'm going to buy a house or something, I'm going to a realtor who knows Jesus. Because I want to get, I don't want to just get the realty information. I want to get the heaven information. So you want to make sure that you're going to wise counselors who are spiritual people as well. Now, not always are you going to find Christians who have wisdom in the area that you need. And it's okay to go to someone who isn't a Christian who has wisdom in that area and say, hey, what do you think? It's not illegal to do. Right? I'm not going to the mafia. I'm going to somebody, you know what I mean? I'm going to somebody who's a good person. But it's okay to do that. Because if God can speak through a jackass, he can speak through them. And I'm serious about that, right? He can, he can give them wisdom for you. But you want to get many counsels. How long do you think it takes to get many wise counsels if you're seeking something? Is that going to happen in an hour? 
Probably not, because you want them to take time to think about it. And if they're Christians, you want them to take time to pray about it. So I'm saying, don't have this fast food mentality when it comes to confirming a word from God. Okay, let's go to the next one. Circumstances. This is the one most everybody uses. 1 Corinthians 16, 8, But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door, this is what everybody says, a wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Okay, they go, yeah, the door just seemed open. And what they forget is, yeah, there's lots of adversaries. You get an open door, you better be looking for the adversaries if you're going to use a scripture like that to confirm what you're talking about. And most of the time, Christians, they don't ever look at the adversaries. They don't look and see what the problems are going to be. I got an open door. It must be the favor of God. I can't tell you how many people have had their noses slammed in those doors that were open because God was closing it before you went through it because it wasn't him. And then you're confused because, wait a minute, I thought the door was open because it's the only confirmation you were using. Circumstances can be manipulated by human beings, by demons, and God. He certainly does use circumstances. I'm not saying he doesn't. But you are very foolish if that's the only thing you're using. Because what is a pinball? It is completely moved by its circumstances. Doesn't get anywhere. We've all known people who are like that. They're bouncing from this place to that place, this church to that church, this conference to that conference. They never do anything. But man, the door was open, so I knew I had to go there. The door was open over here. And they have this wake of nothing behind them. Circumstances can only be used in conjunction with the others. I look for circumstances. I absolutely do. But only in conjunction with the other confirmation points. That, do you get that? I mean, really, please don't just go by circumstances. The next is, number six, is supernatural. Does God use the supernatural? Absolutely. Does the devil use the supernatural? Absolutely he does. The devil can give you dreams. The devil can give you visions. He can appear as an angel of light. We have entire cults built on that thinking they were seeing God. Okay, it's, again, this is another point. Does God use it? Absolutely, he does. Is it to be used as the only thing? Absolutely not. The only time I found in Scripture, like I said, two or three times, my favorite is um, when God came, the angel came to Joseph and says, get up, get out of town, Herod's going to kill all the babies. That He got up right then, got his family, they got out of town. Right? That's, I mean, it's only life and death situations. You're not, that's, not, that's not what we're going to need confirmation for. Those instant, you know, where you have to know right now. Okay? You've got time. So the supernatural, yes, embrace it. Of course we want it. We want people, prophets, to come up and say, you know, I don't know who you are, but... And they just tell you yes or no about the very thing you're asking God about. Or it can be anybody. It doesn't have to be a prophet. It can be anybody. Then you don't even have to be a Christian. God can use anybody. He can do supernatural things. Absolutely he can. But never use it by itself. It always has to be in line with the others. And the final one is timing. If I want to catch a plane, and the plane takes off at 7, and I get there at 7.30, what happens? If I get there at 6, what happens? I wait you hear what I'm saying? I can get there early, and I can wait, and I'm going to catch it. 
if I get there late, I missed it. Timing is absolutely vital. There's a whole chapter in, in uh, Ecclesiastes about time. It's in there for a reason. There's a time for everything. Timing is crucial. I mean, you have to make sure that when, when you are seeking the confirmation of God, that when you get through, you've got these four or five things are all lining up, all six of those are lining up, you've got them all, you're like, whoa, this is awesome. Don't move until you know when. Just because you got all that confirmation, wait until you know when you're supposed to do something. Now, not everything's going to need a win, but if it does, what's the timing? So how do you find out the timing? You apply those same six things to the timing. And you can actually do it at the same time while you're just seeking it. But you want to make sure that you're getting the timing confirmed that this is when I'm supposed to do this. I'll give you an example. I think I said this the other night or in the morning. Um, God said, you know, I go to Kansas City. I have this amazing vision where I see, uh, I see these crossroads all coming together from different angles. And there's, it's kind of foggy, and there's a sign that says Kansas City. And then it starts glowing neon, and it says, here, 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 here. And the Lord says, I want you to move here immediately. And, I, you know, it took me a while, but I, I realized why I had the neon sign. Because I'd stood up in our church three, four months before when we laid the circus down. And the circus was a huge deal where we were for our church. And I said, the Lord's told us to lay down the circus. I said, but we're not going anywhere. We're staying right here in the church. God would have to show me a neon sign <laughs> to get me to move. I said those words. So here I'm having this vision, neon sign, right? Okay, supernatural, yes. Did I have the timing? No, because I thought when he said immediately, that means go home, pack your bags, come back. But I had a house I had to sell. What I also didn't know, I was still learning the prophetic language. Bob Jones, you know, he, he's praying for us. He's talking to us. And anyway, he says, yeah, um, three seasons. You'll be here in three seasons. And I'm like, what does that mean? Three seasons of what? But it was summer, fall. At the end of winter, the first day of spring, we drove into Kansas City. Exactly three seasons. Uh, but it was a year. I mean, it was like a year. I'm like, what? I thought, you said it, I thought you said immediately. And then he's like, 2,000 years is soon. Um, one year is immediately. <laughs> okay, got that. <clears throat> so we didn't have the timing. Do we have the right word? Yeah, because I went through all these confirmation points with that word about moving there. Okay, what I didn't do, I didn't go through the timing. I didn't ask him about the timing. Even though a prophet supernaturally had told me when it was going to be. So timing is super, super huge for this kind of thing. One more thing, and then we're going to take a break. <clears throat> Fleeces and lots. Anybody ever put out a fleece? My hand's up. My hand is up. Okay. A fleece. Um, this was really big back in the early days of the charismatic movement. So everybody would put out a fleece. So just like Gideon did, you know, he put out a fleece and said, okay, if the ground's wet and the fleece isn't wet, you know, then I know it's God. Well, that happens. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But okay, let's reverse it and see if that happens. So we revert, God did it. So people would put out a fleece. You know, if you do this, I'll know it's you. All right, is that a valid thing? Sure, God did it in the Bible. Of course it's valid. Nothing wrong with that. Was Gideon God's man of faith and power when he did that? Was he a man of faith? No, he's hiding in a wine press. No, he's afraid. He's trembling. I don't want to do this. So God honored it. 
So if you're in that position, you know, and that's all you got, which is where we were in the early days of charismatic, and we didn't know anything. There weren't any charismatic churches. There weren't prophets. If there were, they were all goofy as a $3 bill. And nobody knew what was going on. You're just trying anything to hear from God. And so fleeces worked for a time. Another thing was drawing lots. People would, th- I mean, listen, there's such goofy stuff going on. People were throwing dice. They're drawing straws. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. Because in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when they were trying to figure out who's going to replace Judas, they drew lots. And the lot fell to Matthias, Right? That was the day before Pentecost, or a couple of days before. There's a 10-day period in there that sometime before the Holy Spirit falls and everybody's speaking in tongues and it's fire on them and all that stuff, they did, they're drawing lots because they don't know anything else. It's even in, the, it's in Proverbs or Psalms. It talks about you know, the, hand, the, the, the lot is in the hand of the Lord. I mean, he's in that. It's a real valid thing, and they, so they were using that, and God honored it, but... In chapter 13 of the book of Acts, sometime later, it says that there were some teachers and prophets ministering to the Lord in fasting and prayer, and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate from me Barnabas and Paul for the service I have for them. Then it says they fasted and prayed some more, then they laid hands on them and prayed, and then they sent them out. A little bit different, isn't it? It's maturity. So you want to learn and you want to grow in your ability to hear God. Now, if you're, in, if you're just in the fleece and lot area, it's not a sin. But don't live there. Don't camp out there and say, this is great. It's not. There's other ways that are much more clear. They're clean. They're, they're the way God really wants. He wants you to mature. And these ways that I just gave you, they work. They will work every time. Now, do I use these seven things every single time I pray? No, I don't. Because I've learned to hear the voice of God. I've learned the peace of God. It doesn't take me that long. But if it's a life decision, like we just moved to Idaho, you know, from Nashville a year and a half ago, that was a big move. That was a life decision. We went through all of this. We did it every time we've ever moved. We always go through these and so we, and we write them all down. So later on, we're going, was we really supposed to be here? We go through, yep, 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 yep. Okay, no problem. And it just gives you so much more faith. It's so much, I mean, it's so reassuring. So that works, right? We're going to take about five minutes, get up, stretch, and we'll come back for the next one.
Okay, let's come on back in. Find our seats. We have a lot to do in the next uh, half hour. So if you turn to page 25, if you have your notebook, page 25, we're going to talk about Holy Spirit planning. Planning is probably one of the biggest areas that I find most Christians don't have any experience with as far as actually having systems for planning and understanding how important planning is in the kingdom and in their purpose, their destiny, and really anything that you're going to do. Uh, planning is, it can set you apart. I mean, there's so many scriptures. One of my favorites is in, when Jesus was talking, he said, you know, some, uh, somebody's going to build a building and, uh, or they're going to go against another king, rather, and uh, they had to find out whether they had enough men to win. So there had to be a plan there. We gotta, first, we've got to go find that out, and then if not, then we've got to figure out a way to make friends with this guy. That's part of planning. Another part of planning is there's a scripture that says, you know, a man, a wise man is going to make his house ready in the field, then build it. That's planning. He gets all of his equipment and all of his materials, everything ready, and then plans it. So we're going to talk about planning. I want to start out here. <clears throat> if you don't plan your life, somebody else will. And they may not do a good job, may not be what you want. You need to have the plan. You need to have the purpose. You need to hear from God. How many of you have heard of a man called John Goddard? Goddard. John Goddard, when he was 15 years old, he wrote a list of 125 things he was going to do in his life. And I'm going to read some of these to you, and he's a Christian. And amazing, this list is just, this inspired me when I was young. I, I said, I'm doing the same thing. I made a list of about 120. This was 125. So here's what he said. Um, these were things that he wanted to do, to explore the Nile River, Amazon River, Congo River, Colorado River, Yangtze River, Niger River, and, and on and on. He wanted to study primitive people in the Congo, New Guinea, Brazil, uh, Borneo, the Sudan, Australia, Kenya, on and on and on. He wanted to climb Mount Everest, uh, some I can't even pronounce, Mount Kinley, uh, Kilimanjaro, Ararat, Mount Kenya, etc., etc., Rainier, Fuji, etc. Um, I'm reading off the ones that he did. Uh, he wanted to climb the Grand Tetons, Mount Baldy, study Navajo and Hopi Indians, learn to fly a plane, ride a horse in the Rose Bowl Parade. These are all things he accomplished. Um, uh, wants to photograph in Brazil, Victoria Falls, and Rhodesia. Southern Rhodesia is named, um, no, what's it called? Zimbabwe. Uh, he wanted to take photographs of Yosemite Falls, uh, Niagara Falls. He wanted to explore underwater. Amen. These are things he did. Coral reefs of Florida, Great Barrier Reef, Australia, Red Sea, Fiji Islands, Bahamas, Okefenokee Swamp in the Everglades. He wanted to visit the Great Wall of China, Panama Canal, the Galapagos Islands, the Vatican, Taj Mahal, the Blue Grotto, Tower of London, and I'm not reading the whole list of everything. He wanted to swim in Lake Victoria, Superior, Tanganyika, Nicaragua. He wanted to accomplish, he wanted to become an Eagle Scout, dive in a submarine, land and take off on an aircraft carrier. These are things he did. Fly in a blimp, a balloon, and a glider. Ride an elephant, camel, ostrich, and a bronco. 
hold his breath for two and a half minutes, catch a 10-pound lobster and a 10-inch abalone. He did these things. Play the flute and the violin, type 50 words a minute, make a parachute jump, learn water and snow skiing, go on a church mission out outing, follow the John Muir Trail, study native medicines, bag camera trophies of elephants, lions, rhinos, cheetahs, cape, uh, buffalo, and, and whales, uh, learn defense, learn jujitsu, became a black belt, uh, teach a college course, watch a cremation ceremony, explore depths of the sea, write a book, publish an article in National Geographic. He became part of their Explorers Club and wrote multiple things in, in uh, National Geographic. In fact, that's how he made his living. Now, here's the thing. All these things that I've read, he never took an offering. He never got a grant, never borrowed a penny. He earned all his money to do everything. He wanted to milk a poisonous snake, light a match with a 22 rifle, visit a movie studio, climb Cheops Pyramid. These are things he did. Became a member of the Explorers Club, Adventurers Club, learned to play polo, travel the Grand Canyon on foot and by boat, circumnavigate the globe, marry and have children, and live to see the 21st century. He has five children, and he's still alive. Now, I didn't read. He's like 600 things that he's had on his list. He's done about 500 and something. <clears throat> Do you think he knew how to plan? <clears throat> you can't do that many things without having a really good understanding of planning. Now, on that whole list, how many things were spiritual that I read? One, go on a mission field. But he's a, he's a wonderful Christian man who has used that platform to preach about Jesus, has spoken all over the world. He's, he's got to be in his 80s, maybe 90s. I mean, he's just amazing. I read this, you know, I read the first article on him when I was a teenager. Just amazing. But when he was 15, lived in a little town, he looked around and said, I'm not going to live like these people. I'm going to do something. Pulled out a piece of paper at his kitchen table and wrote his first list. And he kept adding to it his whole life. He learned how to plan. Think about that. He paid his way every time. He was in quicksand five times. Yeah. I mean, it's a, so we're not talking about a guy who's just, you know, on the tourist beat. He was back in the jungles. He was doing the whole thing. He had multiple, multiple near-death experiences, bitten by um, uh, animals and poisonous snakes and all kinds. I mean, it's an amazing story. But the reason I bring it up is that he learned how to plan. In 1953, they took a survey of all of the Harvard graduates, and they said, how many of you have any goals set? 3% had goals set, 3%. 20 years later, they did another study with that same class, and, it, and they found out that the 3% who had the goals set were more prosperous, happier, and had accomplished more than the other 97% combined. All they had was they set goals. And when you set a goal, something happens. It's a spiritual thing. I don't understand it all, but it's spiritual. Because especially if you write it down, especially, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. So if you look on your... Um, Look on your uh, outline there on page 25. I just talked about the, uh, the thing from Harvard. 3%. Do you want to be in the 3% club? Yeah, I want to be in the 3% club. So let's talk about the survey of business startups. They, they surveyed 26,000 no, 26, of 29,000 business startups failed. That's 90%. 90% of them failed, and here's why. 70% had no written plan. 70%. That's still true today. No written plan. 65% had no education in the area they were starting their business. 
no education. 55% had no expert guidance. They had no wise counsel. Goals and planning, it's not an option. You have to set goals, and you have to learn how to plan to make those goals come to pass. That's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to give you several different ways to do that. Because if, you're gonna ha if you have a purpose, you have a destiny, the destiny is the plan. Your destiny needs to be planned out. See, we're talking, first you discover what is my, what's my destiny, what am I, what's my purpose, rather. You discover your purpose, but then you design your destiny with the planning, with the goals that you set to make that thing happen. And then after you've designed your destiny, you have to direct the achievement of it by getting out there and doing it. But when you have a plan, it's easy. So planning is really vital. Okay, so dreams and desires, they're the foundations of goals and plans. John Goddard's long list, those were desires in his heart. Those were dreams, but where did they come from? The Bible says in, in uh, Psalm 34, I have it written down, don't I? Yeah, Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's two things. He gives you, he puts it in you, and then he gives it to you by making it come to pass. If you're working with him, if you're paying attention, and if you understand his will. You know his language, right? That's what we just went through. So he gives you the desires of your heart. Remember I told you when I was six years old, I stood on a stage and everybody stood up and clapped. I said, I'm doing this the rest of my life. That was a desire God planted in my heart. In me. He put that there. Bless you. So it isn't about, oh gosh, desires are illegal. No, they're not. All those desires that John Goddard had, he was a believer. They weren't bad. You know how many thousands and tens of thousands, maybe millions of people he's inspired? I mean, phenomenal, just because he followed the desires of his heart. So you all have desires in your heart. There's all, all of us have desires, things that we want to do, things people we want to be, things we want to see, you know, all like his, like Goddard's list. So desires are not illegal because we're kingdom people. We're not looking to do bad things. We don't even want to do selfish things to the point where we neglect some of the things we're supposed to do that are just for us. A hush falls over the stadium, you know. <laughs> do you know it's okay for you to like you and to do things for you? It's okay. God's not angry. He, he likes that. I mean, I have three kids. I have six grandkids. I love to do stuff just for them. I love it when they're just having fun, just doing what, who they are and doing what they want to do. I love that. And I'm nothing compared to God. So desires and dreams are not bad things. They're good things if you're a kingdom person, and I'm assuming all of us are here. So whatever your deepest desires are, they're going to be the very closest thing to your purpose. Whatever your deepest desires of your heart, now we're talking kingdom here, that's going to be one of the close, probably the closest to your specific purpose. It's going to be right around there somewhere. want you to turn the page. Dreams and desires. You'll see there is there's six headings. There's spirit, intellect, personality, 
physical, social, and money. We all have desires under each of those. And so here's what I'm giving you permission to do is to write down every possible dream and desire you have under each one of those sections. It's page 27. Write down as many as you can. Go.
Can you turn to somebody next to you, share with them what you just wrote down? <clears throat> now we're getting personal. <laughs> Okay, let's bring it in. I know you didn't have time to do everything there. That's okay. Remember, this is practice, practice, practice. But now, what you have in front of you is a list of goals. Desires are the beginning of your goals. You just wrote down 
however many you wrote down, those are goals you want to achieve in your life. That's where goals come from, a desire to accomplish something. What most people do is they'll, they'll oh, I want to make a million dollars, right? They'll put that up, that's a goal. And they just leave it there. And they don't ever plan on how to make it. How many of you ever said, God, if God gives me a million dollars, you know, I'll just use it for the kingdom? Anybody ever said that besides me? <laughs> Come on, don't be lying to me. Okay, that's really good. I mean, that's a good heart thing. But I said it to the Lord one day, you know, you gave me lots of money. I'm just going to use it for the kingdom. He goes, prove it. What's your plan? If I gave it to you, you don't have a plan. And you just waste it because you don't have a plan. I have a plan now. I have a plan not for $1 million, for about $50 million. And it's actually a plan that has plans to it. <laughs> it's not just, yeah, I think I can. I mean, I've researched, I've figured out how, where that can go and how it, what it can do. What if it never comes? That's not my problem. My problem is to hear and obey, right? He'll, he'll bring it. If, he, if that's, you know, if I heard, I mean, he'll bring it. Okay, so let's talk about, okay, now we want to go from desire to goals. Okay, goals, and we want to get the plans for the goals. I mean, okay, these are our goals. You've got them in front of you. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Take a second real quick. Look down through each, if you made something under each one, however many you did, pick out the one that's most important to you under each category, the one you want to see done the most. Just do that real quick. We're going to use that later. So, And then after you pick that, if you say if you filled in all six of those categories, pick out the one of the six that you said is the most important and pick one out of that and say, of all these six most important, this is the premier most important. Okay? And we're going to use that uh, in a little bit. Okay, don't take a long time because if you think about it too much, you're going you're, you're gonna to miss it. Just look at it and go, yeah, this one. And if you don't know, just pick one. Don't worry about it. But usually there's one that's above the others. Okay. So when it comes to turning these things into plans, here's some things about planning. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. I love that metaphor. It's like a deep well in you, and all the plans, remember, where's your purpose? In you. So where are all the plans? In you. A man of understanding draws them out. So how do you draw out the plans that are in you? You ask the Holy Spirit to show you what the plans are. But there's things you have to do because you're involved in that equation. So back when I was a little kid, um, we lived on a lake up in upstate New York. And one summer, I mean, I was probably seven or eight years old. And uh, we were out, we had one of those crank pumps, you know, one of those, you just crank, and we're out there, nothing's coming out. And my dad walks out with a big jar of water, pushes us aside, opens the thing up, pours the water in, starts pumping, and all of a sudden, all this water's coming out. A whole lot more than he put in there. We're going like, whoa, it's like magic. You know, we, like, we didn't know. And he said, no, he, I remember him getting right down to my face, and it's, Bill, if you want to get water out, you got to prime the pump. And he walked away. And I thought, I mean, then I didn't, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But later I went, yeah, it's the sowing and reaping principle. You got to put something in to get something out. 
So when, if, if, if our plans are inside us and they're like deep water and by understanding we can draw them out, we do it just like that pump. We have to prime our spirit to pull it out. How do you do that? You ask questions. You ask questions. You're asking the Holy Spirit and you're asking yourself. But if you go, how many of you ever seen a magic trick and you go, man, how do they do that? Right? Well, I did an illusion show. I know how they do just about every one of those things. But when I was learning that, there was a particular illusion that we were not going to do. And I asked the master magician who was, he was teaching us, and I said, how do they do that? And he goes, never ask that question. I said, why? Is it illegal to ask that question? He says, no, because when you ask how do they do it, your mind instantly stops thinking, waiting for the answer to come out from out here. He said, always ask this question, how would I do it? Because then your brain goes into overdrive searching every bit of data that you have trying to come up with the answer for you. Okay? So when it comes time to what is the plan, how do I accomplish whatever that number one desire is that you just circled, that's the question you ask. How would I do it? But the better question is, Holy Spirit, how do you want to do it? And because you're just, we just learned how to hear his voice and how to confirm it, now, as that comes up, you write that down and you can go into confirmation mode. You get this? I mean, this, is, this isn't rocket science, but it's different than what you've probably never been taught. Okay? So you're asking the Holy Spirit to bring up those plans. Show me the plans. When we started Circus Hallelujah, listen, no one had ever done a Christian circus before, let alone an evangelistic Christian circus. I had no place to go. I didn't know, I had nobody to ask. I didn't, you know, I, I, hadn't, I didn't know anything about anything. So all I could do was just ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to do this? And I was doing the very thing I'm sharing with you, but I didn't know it. And so I would just ask, and I'd just sit still. And all of a sudden, here comes a picture. Here comes a plan. Here comes a piece of rigging. Here comes, here's how you, how you present each act. Here's how you give the gospel. Here's how you go on the road. Here's where you get, get people. Here's how you do the music. Here's how you do the costumes. I mean, it just, this was over like a nine-month period, okay? It wasn't like one shot. But it was, I found out, that if I just sit still and ask that question, how do you want me to do this? Because I would say, I don't, how do I do the rigging? Man, because all I knew was tents that, you know, were hundreds of thousands of dollars and you needed like 40-man crew. And he said, oh, no, you never have to do that. Just do it in gymnasiums and you get these clamps that you put on the beams and you just, your instant tent. I thought, I didn't even know they made those. You know, I mean, I'm getting stuff I don't even know what he's talking about. And I have to go research. I go, there it is. I mean, it's stuff like that. But it's me just sitting there, just going, okay, talk to me. How do you want me to do this? And boom, here come the plans. Isn't it so simple? It is so simple because they're already in here, right? We got, you know, if I could have gone, listen, I could have gone, I knew circus people. I knew professionals. I could have gone to them. I, I didn't know any Christian circus people, though. And I would say, hey, I want to start a Christian circus. It's evangelism. We get people saved and healed and delivered. You, what would they have done? <laughs> they were like, get out of here. I had no other place to go, which was perfect, right? It was perfect. So here's what, we, here's what we're going to do. We're going to prime the pump. Why don't you turn the page right after dreams and desires. Page 28, it says prime the pump. So what I want you to do, 
You're going to prime your imagination, your spirit, to work with the Holy Spirit. You're going to ask yourself questions. So you're going to take that, that number one thing that you circled on the dreams and desire list and put it in that blank right there where it says, number one, my goal is, and put in whatever you put down in your dreams and desire list. Just write it in there right now. Okay? Number one, close your eyes, think about it. But first, you've got to fill in the blank here. Whatever that dream and desire is, put it right there. Now we're getting practical. Now we're getting down to what do you want, what did God put in your heart, and how are you going to get it done? All right? Now, I want you to close your eyes, and I just want you just asking the question in your spirit, what do you want me to do? How do I do this? And let the plans come up, and they're going to come up, because that's what he does. Don't put any qualifiers on what comes to you. Was that God? Was that me? I don't know. Just write down what comes to you. Another thing you can do if you're having trouble hearing something or seeing something is 
Think about that thing already done. And then what would you do to make that happen? Because remember, you're in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So some of the things that you would come up with is because he gave it to you. So just don't, don't be afraid to let your own ideas enter in here. Okay, turn the person next to you, share with whatever you got. It doesn't matter how much it is. Just share with them what you wrote down, what your plans are.
Okay, that's good. That's good. I know it's hard to pull out of that when you're, when you're talking and you're talking about yourself. But when we started, a lot of you were having you know, a little trepidation about talking about yourself. Now you just revealed to the person next to you one of the deepest desires of your heart and some ideas you have to make it happen. That's pretty good in 48 hours. Okay, that you, I mean, think about it. You, you're, now you're at the point where I actually have something in front of me that I really want to do, the desire that probably God gave me, and some ideas on how to make it happen. That's stellar. And you're way ahead of 99.9% .9 of the people in the world. I mean, seriously. Most remember, I said only 1% ever says they have a written plan, and I've looked at some of the plans when I've asked them that, and it's not much planning. <laughs> so what we're going to do, we're done for tonight, but tomorrow I'm going to give you the six things that anything you're going to plan in your life always comes under those six categories. And I'm going to give you three different ways to plan anything you ever want to do, including what you just wrote down. Is that good? All right. And then, and then we're going to create your very own vision flyer, which tells people, here's who I am. Here's my vision or my purpose or my dream. Here's what I've done so far. Here's what I'm going to do next. And here's how you can help me. That's what we're going to do tomorrow. Let me pray for you. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Thank you for everything is ours. Holy Spirit, everything. Show us everything you possibly can about our purpose and our destiny and what we're supposed to do for you. Lord, help everybody sleep tonight. Give them good dreams.